Good morning, body of Christ. I am thoroughly convinced that if I didn't come up here and n nobody interrupted you, that you guys would just talk and love one another for the next hour. So that's a beautiful thing. That brings me joy. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Dylan Adams. I am a deacon in training here at Pierce Point Community Church, as well as the the uh, youth leader here. Um, we are in the what we call the Advent season. I always thought the idea of the Advent season was strange because Advent is when we are focusing, we are we are thinking about the coming of Jesus, the the first coming of Jesus in the in the flesh, right? So in December, we're, December we're kind of chewing over that and we're contemplating that. But realistically, as believers, we are technically constantly in a season of Advent because Advent just means the, the arrival of a notable person, meaning he came once and we know he's going to come again. So we're rather, whether it's January, February, December, March doesn't matter, technically we're, we, we should always be dwelling upon the returning of the Lord and what that means for us. So just a side note there, but I thought that was interesting as you as we delve into this Advent series. Nathan has done a wonderful job the last few weeks talking about the, some of the, the topics that come with the coming of Jesus, right? The, the first coming of Jesus. Uh, the hope that is found in his coming. The peace that is found in his coming. And I am tasked with the responsibility of talking about the joy related to this. Prepare the way for joy. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually says, joy is the serious business of heaven. I was looking at different quotes, and I, was, I can't tell you how many things I've read to prepare for this, but it's, it's, for some reason that, that, that quote made me kind of laugh uh, because I was like, man, it's serious business. Like, you ever, you ever have a conversation with somebody and go, oh, they mean serious business. Like, it's joy is serious business of heaven, right? Before I go too much further, I want to start out with a joke. Um, it's, it's a real, I'll tell you before, before I say it, it's really dumb, but I saw it as I was, uh, as I was spending time with the Lord and I was, oh, sorry about that. I closed an app. I shouldn't have closed there. So I, uh, saw this joke as I was reading through Advent stuff and everything this morning, just kind of doing my last due diligence here. And, you know, we know that I screenshotted it, so I've got to find my photos, but we know that you know, the, the, we have the story of the, the wise men that brought the gifts and everything for, for Jesus. And I thought that was this funny. It says, we'll give him gold and frankincense, but wait, there's myrrh. <laughs> I told you, I told you it was dumb, but I figured it was a, I just got weighed off the stage by, by Barney. <laughs> I figured I'd start with a joke, get, get you guys laughing, because today, thank you, thank you. We're, <laughs> get you guys laughing, get you in, in good spirits, because today we're going to be talking about joy, specifically joy in regards to Jesus and the coming of Jesus, right? So we'll start out in Luke chapter, chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Uh, let me paint this picture for you. So you've got these shepherds in this field, and you know, they're caring for animals, and you know, it's a a shepherd, the job of a shepherd wasn't a a lighthearted job either. It's not like they were sitting in the field eating, you know, Cheez-Its or whatever shepherds ate that, that day. You're, you know, relaxing and, you know, you're keeping, keeping count of the flock. You're making sure everybody's okay, that they're healthy. You're chasing wolves away. You're, you're doing what needs to be done to protect the people. Or, well, in this case, the, the animals. But we see the parallel of a shepherd, Jesus being the good shepherd and he's shepherding his, his people, right? So paint this picture. These shepherds are in this field, and, you know, they're just doing their thing. They're doing the job that they've been tasked to do. And in some way, shape, or form, these angels appear. And this always makes me laugh because the angels appear, and the first thing that's out of their mouth is, do not be afraid. I've always wondered why that is. You know, sometimes you see the depictions of angels where they have, like, 16,000 eyes on their, all over their body, and they're, like, they're, they're terrifying other other. Other people would depict them as this big, massive warrior that could, you know, kill you without even moving, all, all this craziness. But for whatever it is, their first, the first words out of their mouth is, do not be afraid. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Not just some of the people, all the people. Say all the people with me, all the people. Good news and great joy of great joy for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy. Let's think about this. Why is this good news of great joy in this moment? We're looking at a God's chosen people, the Jews, right? They have been waiting for this Messiah for many, 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 many years. And they have a few things that they feel like he's going to accomplish. He feels like they feel like he's going to bring Israel back together. You know, they bring them out of exile. He's going to destroy their enemies, which he did. Sin, the greatest enemy. Um, and all of these things. He's going to make things new. He's going to restore things how they were meant to be, right? Imagine you... Imagine that you're living... And you shouldn't have to imagine because this is, this is our life. Imagine that there is something bad going on, right? You're, you're lost. You're, you've been wandering in the wilderness, per se. And you know that even though you're wandering in the wilderness, someone has made a promise to you that there will come, a one, there will come one that will free you from that. He will come to save you from that. He will come to help the lost be found. So you're in this place. You're wandering in the wilderness. You're lost. You're, you're doing your best. You're trying to do what, what the Lord's commanded you to do. And then these angels approach you in this field. And they say, I have great news. I bring you good news of great joy. Because today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. What joy is that? This Savior that you've waited for for so long is now here in the flesh, ready to fight for you, right? It's a joyful moment. I, want to put, I really just wanted to put you in that thought process. Isaiah 9, 6, I, don't know, I think I put it up there, maybe. I don't know, probably not. <laughs> um, it talks a little bit more about this, this Messiah. It says, for unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. These are the names that they're like, he's going to be, these are the things that he will be called. Talk about joy when, when he, when the Prince of Peace has finally arrived. There's a joy there that they're, they're ready to blow their trumpets and dance around and really just praise for the, the, the Savior that will save them, has, has arrived. Same thing for us, which we'll get into here in a moment. Um, Miriam Webster defines, the, defines joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. So joy is an emotion. It's also more than that. Joy is a, a state of being, a choice. But that's how Miriam Webster defines it. The Greek word for joy is, and Lord, I hope that I got this right because uh, Dwayne uh, helped me understand how to pronounce it like moments before I got up here. Uh, the Greek word for joy is kara, I think is how you said it, but it's probably wrong. Um, listen to it for yourself. Google will kind of help you. <laughs> joy is the natural reaction to the work of God, whether promised or fulfilled. Joy expresses God's kingdom. Now, what, is it, what do I mean by whether promised or fulfilled? Well, for the Jews, the Messiah was promised, right? For us, we see it fulfilled. We see the, the fruition of that promise, and we find joy in that. And they found joy in the promise that he was coming because he, they know that God is a promise keeper. Amen? The Greek, the, the Greek word for joy is close related to charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which means grace or gift. Joy 
is the normal response to God's grace, or just the, the normal response to anything. It, it is the response to a specific thing. It's always sp- specific. We have joy in many, many things in this life, but it's always specific. Joy isn't just a, it's not just a feeling where it's like, oh, I feel joy in this moment. It's always related to something specific, if that makes sense. So what is the significance of joy in response to the gospel? I didn't put any bullet points up here because I want you to really listen. So first off, joy in response to the gospel, to the response of God's love and his salvation, the good news. It shows, remember, joy is a proper, it is a proper reaction to this, right? It shows an understanding of what's been done. It allows us to leave shame and guilt and instead walk in peace and joy. When you react with joy because of these things, you, it shows at some level an understanding of what God has done. There's one. That's, a, that's one significance. Here's another one. And we don't think about this enough, but this is important. Joy, as a response, can also be a witness to those around us of the work that's been done in us. I can testify to that. I remember in... It's sad to say, and we'll get into this later, but it's, it, it does dwindle when you let the woes of, of life come at you. But I remember when I first came to the Lord six years ago. Yeah, man, I'm getting old. <laughs> um, somebody's going to throw something at me. I can feel it. It's okay. We, I, I think we put, the, um, put the, the tomatoes away. So there's some desserts back there if you want to throw those. But I am a diabetic, so like, you know, don't hit me in the face. But. <laughs> When I first became a believer, and I realized what had been done for me, the love that had been poured out for me on the cross, the sacrifice that had been made so I could be a part of God's family, the joy that I had as a new believer made absolutely zero sense to anybody else. I was living in a house where they were, they were taking things upstairs, and they were smoking things downstairs, and they were selling things in the basement, like well, that's as far as I'll get, because there's kids here, but there was a lot of crazy stuff going on in the house I was living in at the time. And then the, the Lord changed my life, and there was this joy. The Bible might call it inexpressible. It changed everything for me. And I've got all these addicts, per, per se, looking at me like I'm an alien, because they're like, who is this person? And that was, I got to testify to them of this joy that had rooted itself in my heart because of what God has done. I I was able to allow it to be a witness of God's work in me. And lastly, the, the last significance of joy in response to the gospel is it's the proper response. Let me paint a picture for you. So, bear with me. So let's say you've got this friend, and you know that this friend cannot tell a lie. They're honest. They're trustworthy. They are a promise keeper. Now let's say that friend says, hey, I love you so much, and I want to see you be as profitable as you can in life and grow as much as you can in life. So in three days' time, I will deliver to you a $10 million cashier's check. How do you guys respond to that? If somebody walked to you right now and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you, how, how do you guys respond to that? Yeah, joy. There's joy there, right? Why is that? You don't have the check yet. You don't have that money in your hand. But you're, you're quickly led to joy just by the promise of something like that. Why? Not because you have the money in hand, because you don't. You've got three days. You're led to joy because the, you know that that person is a promise keeper. You know that they will fulfill what they have said to you. So you're joyful because of that, right? In the same way, the reason why your our joyful response is significant to the gospel is because we serve a God. We serve a Father that is a promise keeper. Say it with me, promise keeper. We can have joy 
Because we live in this interesting spot where those of us that are in Christ, those of us that are abide in Christ, we, we've been redeemed. We've been washed clean. But you and I have not fully received the fullness of this gift. We don't fully see the full joy, the full love, the full picture here. But we will one day. And we can find joy in that because we know that our God is a promise keeper. He's trustworthy. I will not leave you nor forsake you. We can find joy in that. So, it is a proper response to the good news. Now, what does the Bible tell us about joy? Well, joy is of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And I must have cut it off, but typically there's self-control there. The joy, joy isn't just an emotion. In some way, it's a, joy, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're abiding in Him... Again, the natural thing there is, are these fruits of the Spirit, one of them being joy, love, peace, patience, all of these things. What else does it say? Well, in Proverbs 17, 22, it tells us that joy is good medicine. It says a joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. Psalm 16, 11 tells us that joy is found in the presence of God. I put Psalm 1611, but that concept is everywhere. I could spend the next three hours talking about scriptures that talk about joy being found in his presence. But the psalm says, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. We're going to tease that out here in a little bit in regards to that same comment being made in John 15. Your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Then we have 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, and it says joy is sometimes inexpressible. And I can't, I couldn't agree with something like that more because there are moments that I found myself in, and I hope some of you have found yourselves in similar moments, where I've been going through something, something hard, something difficult in life. But then... I dwell upon my Lord. I dwell upon his promises. I dwell upon the fact that he hasn't left me nor forsaken me. I dwell upon the fact that he, in some way, shape, or form, the scripture tells us that he works all things for the good of those who love him. I dwell upon these things that I find myself rooted in this joy that makes no sense. It's inexpressible. Do not feel pressured, but does anybody have a story they would like to share in regards to a joy like that, where they were going through something difficult in their life, but they found joy in the midst of that? I would, I would love to invite somebody to come up. I've got a mic here for you. Uh, if you don't, no hard feelings, but I want to get that opportunity. If you have the story where you have gone through something and have, and have found yourself in this inexpressible joy, please, I'd love to, we would love to hear what the Lord's done in your heart. Anybody? Any takers? I know, it's so scary up here. It's like, a, what is this, like six inches up? It's like <laughs> terrifying. No. The offer stands. Dwell on it. If the Lord is moving in your heart right now and you're too nervous to do it, I pray that he breaks that. I pray that you come up here. The offer stands. Okay? Amen. Give him a, give him a round of applause. Does this work? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Good morning. So, I don't, I'm not very good at the public speaking, but I'll give us a shot. Um, there was a story I wanted to share. This happened years ago. And it's kind of a hard, a vulnerable thing as far as to share, but it was a moment where the story came up where you talk about joy in, in times of hardship. The story was is that I, I 
going to school, working two jobs, and I was just coming home from, from work, uh, place from, from work in the evening, working a double, and uh, driving, coming through a light, and a guy ran across the road and didn't see him and hit him, hit him square on. Was in shock for a bit, please call my dad, uh, called the police, and um, needless to say, he passed as far as uh, didn't make it to the hospital. And it, it was traumatizing as far as to go through something like that. And, and just to kind of pick up and go through, like even my work at the time, they said, that, you know, take your time. Like, you know, if you need to take time off, it's like, no, I need to keep myself busy, keep myself going. And um, I found out a few days later that uh, one of the ladies I work with, she uh, ended up being her brother. And so that, that was really tough. And, um, and she took a few days off because, you know, with her and her family. And and so when she came back to work, um, I can't remember if I approached her. Or she approached me, but she it, the conversation went to where she said that you know she understood that I was the one that involved with that. But she said that she actually thanked me, which was weird, and I, and I was kind of taken aback. And apparently, that this person I hit, he had a he had an alcohol problem. He was uh, basically when he came across the road. This was on Beachmont Avenue. He just ran across the road, and he was already kicked out of the bar once, taken back home, and he was making his way back up to the bar. And their family, they, they worried every day as far as the, well, I wonder whether, you know, if they're going to hear something to happen to him or whatnot. And to them, even though it was sad to lose a family relative, it was nice to know that, you know, he's in a better place, that, you know, that, that they don't have to worry about him anymore. And uh, so, and, and and it, in that moment when I got to share it, when she shared as far as their struggles and and just hearing from her, somebody from the family, like, uh, you know, this person's sister, uh, it brought a sense of joy and something that was, uh, you know, still to this day when I'm driving, I see somebody walk alongside the road. I, I you can ask my wife, like, I panic a little bit. Like, it's, you know, you don't know somebody's going to run across. So that was the my example as far as when you bring something like that. Thank you. We can find joy in the most interesting of circumstances. Something interesting uh, that we see in our, in our world is happiness and joy are kind of used inter interchangeably in the secular world. Uh, as I said, joy in, a, in the Christian realm is, the, is a response to something. There, joy is always it's always in regards to something significant, something specific, right? While happiness is defined as a state of well-being and contentment. So joy, joy is more of a conscious decision, right? You see something and you have joy. Happiness is more of a reaction, like... Uh, I was talking to Ethan Englehart, praise the Lord. He helped me work through some stuff yesterday as well, and... We were talking about this, um, this idea of happiness and joy and how happiness is a reaction of things happening in your life, the circumstances, right? Um, sometimes it's not even, you're not choosing to be happy, you're just reacting to something happy. Uh, here's an interesting example. Um, my wife is ridiculously ticklish. It's quite funny to me, it makes me happy. Um, but when I, when, when I grab her leg and I start to tickle her foot, her reaction to that is, well, sometimes screaming and, and a little bit of laughter. Um, but it is, a, it is a reaction to that, while joy is a conscious decision of something, right? Why is that distinction important? Well, a few reasons. One, happiness is not promised in the Bible. It's not. Sorry. Joy, though, joy is. And why is that important? Well, joy, again, is a reaction to good news. It's a reaction to God's grace, right? A proper reaction. So, then we'll get into more of this in a moment, but joy and happiness being different allows us to understand that happiness may be dictated by how life's going. Mark may not necessarily be happy if one of his machines breaks down and he can't, he can't work, right? But he can still find joy in that moment because his joy wasn't anchored in that machine. It's anchored in something different. 
John chapter 15, verse 11 says, These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Now, it's a good practice any time that you see something that says, These things I have spoken to you, typically a good practice to see what things. This is Jesus speaking, so it's even more important. So we can go to the next slide. And it's the, we're going to read through John chapter 15, verse 1 through 10. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about how these things that Jesus speaks to us, how our joy can be made full in that. Okay? So Jesus starts out and he says, oh, sorry. He doesn't say, oh, I promise. Um, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may, be, may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Next slide, I think, hopefully. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in me. My love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. John 15, verse 1 through 9. Let's break this down. So, Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you that you may, you, my joy may be in you and that your joy be made full. Now, what in this scripture, these verses, would bring us joy? Let's talk about it. So first off, he starts out with a pretty heavy one. I'm the true vine, in case we forgot, and my father's the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so it may bear more fruit. He makes it clear that we are the branches and he is the vine. We are from him. We are one with him, right? Here's a beautiful thing here. So he's giving this picture of a vine with branches, and we can rejoice in the fact that he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So not only are we a part of Jesus? Not only can we abide in him, but he's also working through us in sanctification and he's pruning us so we can bear more fruit with him. Now, he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Let me, let me expand on that for you. He is saying, abide in me and I in you. What he is saying is that we are one with the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, Jesus the Messiah. And if we, if we abide in him, he shall abide in us. Remember when he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Yeah. Abide in him and he'll abide in you. That's a joyful thing. Amen? And then we go through, and Jesus, and Jesus tells us, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. There's another thing that can make your joy full. You are loved by the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. You are loved by the Messiah come to set you free. 
And that love drives him to lay down his life for you. That love drives him to take what you deserve. We have the ability to have lasting joy. Here's an interesting story. And this plays into this idea of this lasting joy. Who, know, who, who here knows that you can, you can find joy in many, many things of this world, right? Let me tell you a story. Caitlin's going to laugh at this. So when, when Naomi was born, that was a gift from God to me. Her middle name is actually Joy, after my mother, but her name is Naomi Joy. Naomi means pleasant, so she's a pleasant joy. She was a joy to me. I experienced joy in that moment because the birth of my daughter. Here's an interesting part. Those of you who have kids know that from time to time, um, children can be absolute lunatics. (laughs) She's two, and I can testify to that. There are days that I'll round the corner and she's got shoes on both hands, just walking around. At the moment, she's crying because she can't find the other shoe to put on her hand. Like, it's, kids are crazy. In that moment when she's born, I found joy in that. Here's the issue. If I anchor my joy in Naomi, she's a person. She will constantly change. There's days that She's calling me dada, and she's crawling in my lap, and she's blowing me kisses, and those, those days are great. And there's other days where all day all she wants to do is cry, and nobody knows why. <laughs> uh, if I anchor my joy in her, then my joy will be as shaky as the waves on the sea. They, it will ebb, and it will flow. I'll never have consistent joy, not true joy. She is my joy. I love her. But I can't anchor my joy in her because she's forever changing. Same way with all of you. You may find joy in different areas of your life, different things in your life, right? Whether it's your kids or your job or your hobby or whatever that may be. But those things change. They, they shift, especially people. I know a lot of wonderful people in this church but they all had the ability to let me down in some way. Not that I expect it, but they all have the ability because we're broken people. We're people. Sometimes we suck, sometimes we're great. We're people. You, not you, we, we have the ability to have a lasting joy. Why is that? Well, if you anchor your joy in Jesus. Who here knows that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Never changing. Never changing. Hear me. Never changing. So if you anchor your joy, and see, when I say the word anchor, I've got this picture of this big, burly man taking an actual boat anchor and swinging it around and throwing it into the water to keep him put where he's trying to stay. That's what my mind is at. Somebody that looks like Popeye the Sailor Man, you know, big old chin, some, some tattoos, and he's yeeting that, that anchor into the, in, in, into the ocean to stay where he needs to abide. Jesus is that anchor because he is never changing. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not walking away from you. He's not. So if we anchor in him, we have the the ability to find joy even in the hard times. I'm going to share one story and then I'm going to, we might go over just a little bit. I'll get you out by lunch, I promise. I'm I'm going to share another story and it's something that I was talking to Barney about earlier. I just want to give this example to you in regards to going to Jesus for your joy. Anytime that I'm having this conversation, 
my mind always goes to, to the story of the woman at the well. I'm going to give you an abbreviated version, so just bear with me. So we've got this woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. There's some politics that go on there, you know, Samaritans and Jews and all of that. And, you know, what mountain do you worship on? And let's lay that aside. It's important, but not important for this. We have this, this woman at the well. And Jesus is at the well, and he's having this conversation with her. And he asks her for a drink of water, and there's a conversation that goes on there. And then he says that if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask me for a drink. And the water I would give you is living water, and you would never thirst again. Here's the thing about finding joy in things of this world. You will continue to thirst. You will continue to go back to the well. And let's be clear, they were going to the well daily to fetch water. This was a task, and depending on where the well was, it might be even a greater task for you. And she was going to the well in the hottest part of the day to avoid all the other women because she was, I think, on her fifth husband or something crazy. But making that trip to the well is not always easy. So if you find your joy in the things of this world, you will continue to thirst, and you will continue to have to go out and find more things to be filled by. But Jesus says, if you ask me for a drink, I will give you living water. And not only will you not thirst again, that living water will then turn into a wellspring in you, and you can pour that living water out on others. If you anchor your joy in Jesus, you don't have to go to things in this world. So when people let you down or you get a bad medical diagnosis or work's not going so well, you lose the house, you lose your car, whatever that may be, you, you don't have to fear because your joy was never in those things in the first place. It was anchored in an unchanging, unmovable Father that loved you so much that he sent Jesus for you to have the opportunity to be with him. So anchoring joy, or anchoring our joy in Jesus allows us to be joyful in hard times. Here's some examples of that. You've got King David. Um, even though things are not always easy for David, the Psalms are still filled with him rejoicing and who God is, the promise keeper, his Lord. We see that by just a few examples. Psalm 4, 7 says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Or we've got Apostle Paul. There are so many examples of Paul in crazy situations. I mean, dude was writing letters from jail, talking about rejoicing in the Lord. We see, we see this picture, and I'm not going to read it because I want to conserve some time here, but we see this story in the book of Acts, chapter 16, that talks about Paul and, I believe, Silas. Yep, Paul and Silas, they are arrested. They're thrown in jail. I don't know about you guys, but if I'm putting in, if I'm putting in jail... I think I'm, there, there will be a moment where I might struggle a little bit with that joy. Just a little bit, especially that jail. But instead, the joy of the Lord was so prevalent in them that they started praising and singing hymns. And then the doors of the prison just opened. It's interesting how joy in unexpected circumstances, can have an effect on the things around you. The people around you, the circumstances around you, not always, but in this case, it has an effect on the things around you. So great of, a, so great of an effect that we read later in this same chapter of this prison, of this, this guard of the prison who was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoner escaped, him and his entire family are saved. Why? Because Paul chose joy. In the midst of 
prison, jail. They're in jail for their faith. And instead of going, ah, this is ridiculous. I can't believe they did this to us. And poor me. And this happened again. Like, I don't have bail money. What am I going to (laughs) do? They choose joy. And it has an effect on the world around them. Let's talk about Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. I read that, and my brain just fell out of my head, because I'm like, what? Like, the amount of times that one small thing has happened, I'll give you an example. This morning, I, I was up till like three in the morning working through some things on this just to make sure that it was, it was going to be ready. And this morning, I got in my car, fully dressed, ready to go, and I forgot my energy drink on the table. And for a split second, this frustration, frustrated just comes out of me. Now, an hour and a half later, I'm, I'm supposed to be talking about joy with you guys. <laughs> and I'm in my car growling because I'm frustrated that I left my caffeine on the table. And of course, the Lord's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you're right. Sorry. The amount of times that I let something so small affect my joy is insane. It shows that I still have work to do. Nobody's telling you to be perfect in this. What I'm telling you is to set your eyes, anchor your joy in the right thing. And it is a daily, nope, it is a moment-by-moment choice. Not even a daily choice. I'm not telling you to wake up in the mornings and choose joy. No, I'm telling you to, to every moment of every day to choose joy in him. Because you have to. Otherwise, you're some lunatic sitting in your car getting upset about an energy drink. <laughs> yeah. I have two more quick stories for you in regards to joy and unexpected times. These are personal stories. Both have to do with cancer. I had a friend. His name was Larry. First time I met Larry, he had, uh, he had had cancer once. It had been healed. And when I met him, the cancer was back. And I only met him because a friend of mine was dating his daughter And I got this text with the rest of my young adult group at the time that this man was in so much pain that he needed us to to come over and pray with him. So we went. And from then, I had many, many, many conversations with this man. I will never forget Larry. Unfortunately, well, fortunately for him, unfortunately for us, he went to be with Jesus not too long after I met him. But Larry, this is the second time that he's had cancer. He is in excruciating pain. And I saw more faith and joy in that man than I've ever seen in my entire life. Not because of a situation. I'm not asking you to smile when things are bad. I'm not asking you to jump around. I'm not asking you to hug and, and all of that. Larry wasn't doing any of that. I mean, he was pretty funny, so he laughed a lot even through the pain. But he was joyful because he knew the God that he served. He knew that even if the cancer wasn't healed this time, that he would go home to be with his Lord, the promise keeper, the one that he's been abiding in. And he found joy in that. To this day, one of the most faith-filled and joyful people I've met in my life. I think about that man often. Joy in the midst of unexpected circumstances comes when we we have our eyes set upon the author and the finisher of of our faith, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and understand that he has given himself up so we could be a part of his family, to be a part of his vine. Without him, it's impossible. We were stranded. We were lost in the wilderness, and he has come. The last story is uh, one that we're, my wife and I and her family are currently dealing with right now. 
Caitlin has an uncle. His name is Dave. And Dave has been having health issues for a while. And he had some, a lot of liver issues. And I guess he'd had liver issues for some time. So they were draining some fluid off of Dave's stomach. And they decided they were going to test it. So I think two or three weeks ago, we found out that Dave had pretty severe liver cancer. Dave means a lot to Caitlin and to her family. He has my utmost respect for the way that he's provided for his family and the way that he's loved and, and, and his life. And we find out that he may not even make it to Christmas. That is a crappy circumstance. I am not going to stand up here and smile and say, man, this is great. It's not. That breaks my heart. Now as a church, we have some jobs to do, as, as, you know, as Caitlin and I being a part of the, the body. You know, we're making sure that he's secure and where he will have his eternity and, and that, he, that he can be confident that his wife will be okay. Here's something that is interesting. In the midst of this, Caitlin and I are very heartbroken that this is going on. In the midst of this, we've been able to find joy. Not in the situation. Lord, no, not in the situation. But we know what's waiting for Dave if he abides in Christ. We know that we live in a broken world where cancer exists, where sickness exists, where medical issues and, and sin and all these things are, are happening every day. But we don't have to dwell on those things. Because we're not citizens here. This is our temporary home. We're citizens of heaven. And we will go to be with our Savior. And we can find joy in that, even in something so crappy as a cancer diagnosis. I want you guys to reflect on a time when you experienced profound joy and what that revealed to you about your relationship with God. Because again, if we can choose joy, that is a response to God's grace. It is a response to us knowing and having faith in him. Joy flows from that. So it, it's immediately connected to this idea of how do you know your Lord? How do you know your Father? Because the more that you can know him, the, more, the easier it becomes to anchor your joy in him. He is a promise keeper. He is loving. He is righteous. He is just. And he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So think about times in your life when you've had this profound joy and what that reveals to you about your relationship with God. Now, I told you that joy can be a source of strength in difficult times because, again, it, ser it serves as an anchor for our emotions, right? Even though in the moment things look bleak, we live in a dark world, things... Things seem to be getting crazier, and people are getting crazier, especially Mark Williams. And <laughs> I only said that because he was falling asleep. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Joy allows us, joy properly anchored in the Lord, allows us to take these hard times head on. Because you're not alone. I always tell the youth kids, God's not playing hide-and-seek with you. He's not in some closet giggling, waiting for you to find him. That's not the case here. You anchoring your joy in Jesus isn't a, isn't a hard thing because he's not hiding from you. He's right here. He got on a cross just like this, and he said, I love you. Not I love you if, not I love you but, not even I love you when. He just said, I love you. And he poured out his life so you could have life abundantly. What a great joy that is. Anchor in that, in the hard times, in the good times. Even when times are good, do not lose, do not lose that anchor because things can quickly go bad again. Life is crazy. And if you need
just one more, one more thing of Jesus to anchor. And this is one of my favorite scriptures. It's John 16, 33. I might have it up there. I don't really know. I, I sent some, didn't send some. It's always a, it's always a toss-up. But John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. Do you guys have tribulation? Are things hard sometimes? Yeah? Yeah? Apparently it's only hard for Emmy because I didn't hear anybody else. <laughs> Life is hard. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Why? I have overcome the world. We serve a Lord that came in the flesh, born of a virgin, went through all the woes of life, and then laid his life down for you. And he says, take courage. I have overcome this world. Each week, we're, we've been given an activity, and this week is no different. One of my goals here with this, this sermon, this teaching, is to change your view of things. Something that I love that we do on Tuesday nights in our leadership meetings is we start every meeting after our meal with, what did you see God do this week? And that has taught me to look for more of the things that God, God is doing in my life. It makes me more aware of the blessings that God has put in my life that I honestly may have not thought of. So in the same way, I will ask you, what joy has God brought into your life? This, I call it a reverse Advent because typically in Advent calendar, you're, you're, you know, you're opening the thing and you're taking the thing from it. This is different. I want you guys, and if you didn't get one of these, there are plenty, so please see me after this, and I will give you one. I want you to put this somewhere where you're going to see it. And every day, I want you to, to whether it's at the end of the day, the beginning of the day, whatever, whatever works for you. And every day, I want you to, all the way until Christmas Eve, I want you to write something on here. A joy that God has brought into your life for that day. Sometimes that looks like being able to serve somebody else. That's a joy that I've experienced, and that's directly related to the joy of the Lord. But I want you to take the next few weeks, and I want you to be conscious of the joy that God is bringing in your life. Why? Because I want us to go into the new year firmly anchored in the joy of the Lord. I want that to be on our mind because it could change everything if we just change what we're anchored to. Amen.